Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today our church around the world celebrates the great feast of Peter and Paul. They are the two greatest saints in our church, two great pillars of our church, and yet they're deeply flawed individuals. If you ever read the Bible, whether it's the New Testament or the Old Testament, the Bible never glamorizes its heroes. Great example of it, Moses. Great hero, right? He leads the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, leads them through the desert, finally to the promised land. And yet Moses himself is a murderer. There's that great scene. Moses, a, a young man, he sees a fellow Israelite poorly and physically mistreated by an Egyptian official. He becomes enraged. He hunts down that Egyptian official and kills him, then flees into the desert where he remains for many years as a shepherd until God calls him to become a hero for the Israelites. You see this countless times in the Bible. People who have flaws that are easily on display, they're never covered up. Well, Peter and Paul are a great example of that. So what do we know of Peter and Paul? Well, let's take Peter first. We know he's a Galilean fisherman. He owns his own boat, which means he's not poor. There's that classic story. Peter is in his boat. He's minding his own business. Jesus suddenly gets in, sits down, and says, put out to shore. I need to teach these people. So Peter does just that. So Peter, he enjoys some amount of prosperity. To what level, we just don't know. But he's not exactly rich. We would say in our day and age, he's a hard-working class person. And he's a small business owner. Peter wasn't well-educated. He's not really a scholar. But we do know that he spoke Aramaic and Greek. He had to in order for him to be a successful fisherman for barter and trade. We also know that Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, was his close companion. Peter actually baptized Mark. And from that moment forward, Mark never left Peter's side. He was always with Peter in all of his evangelization trips. In fact, some scholars would argue the gospel of Mark is Peter's gospel, in which Peter dictated him the gospel, and Mark feverishly wrote it all down. In fact, if you look at the timeline in which Mark wrote his gospel, he wrote it directly after Peter's martyrdom. Now, what else do we know about Peter? Well, we know he's not a priest. He's not a scholar of the law. We could say Peter is an average Joe. He'd be the type of person that you would meet at the local grocery store or the gas station. But we also see his flaws. They're clearly on display. Time and time again, Peter just doesn't get it. His faith runs hot and then it runs cold. You know, there are times in which Jesus says something that is very clearly and profound and Peter doesn't get it. 
Therefore, Jesus has to elaborate even further. Look at today's gospel. Here we have the great confession. Peter, he's the first to understand Jesus' true identity before any of the apostles. And that's because God the Father has given him that information. And yet, right afterwards, we don't hear it in the gospel, but in the Bible, Jesus then says, he tells the apostles about his impending passion, death, and resurrection. Peter's response, you know, heaven forbid, Lord, that this should happen to you. Immediately, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you're an obstacle to me. Peter, he runs hot and cold. Look at the story of the walking on the water. The apostles are all in the boat. It's the middle of the night. They see Jesus walking towards him. They think he's a ghost. They start crying out to him in panic. Peter says, Lord, if it truly is you, you'll command me to come out and walk towards you. Jesus' response, come on, come out. Peter does. Gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water. His whole attention is focused on Jesus. He's able to walk on the water. But then what happens? He gets distracted. He starts looking at the rain and the waves and the wind and starts falling into the water. Jesus grabs him up and then says to Peter, O ye of little faith. And yet, there's no more dramatically where we see Peter's flaws than on the great moment of truth. Jesus is arrested in the garden. His apostles all run away from him. What does Peter do? Does he stay with Jesus as his companion? No. Instead, he denies him, denies ever even knowing Jesus, not just once, but three times. Peter's a deeply flawed individual, but he's a person just like us. We're all flawed individuals. This is what sin does to us. And yet, he becomes the greatest of all the saints in our church, a pillar of our church. Now, let's turn our attention to Paul. Paul, when you compare and contrast him with Peter, I would say he's exactly the opposite of Peter. Paul, from a very early age, is well-educated. His parents saw when he was around seven or eight years old, he was a very gifted and intelligent little boy. So they sent him immediately to Jerusalem to study and live with the leading rabbi of the time, Gamaliel. There, he became a great student. He learned sacred scripture and tradition and the Jewish faith. He also learned many other things, to read and to write. He learned many languages, Latin, Greek, Aramaic. But after a while, he would become what we would term as a religious fanatic. He had an incredible passion to defend the religious faith of Judaism. In fact, he saw Christianity as a great threat to the Jewish faith. Therefore, he commissioned himself to set out and literally exterminate that threat to kill all Christians. Great example of this, go to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7. We hear of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr of our church. It is said that the people laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul, picked up stones and stoned Stephen to death. It was as if Saul or Paul was presiding over that stoning. In chapter 8, it says Saul is breaking into the houses of Christians and leading them out to prison in chains, men, women, and children to be executed. In chapter 9, it says, Paul, still breathing murderous threats, goes to Damascus 
to exterminate the Christian community there. Well, we all know what happened on that road. He encounters Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, it all changes for Paul. Now, Peter and Paul, deeply flawed individuals, two men that we would last expect God to call into discipleship, let alone become the greatest saints of our church, but they did. Peter is the first leader of our church, the first pope. Paul, the greatest evangelizer of our entire church. Despite their glaring flaws, God calls them into ministry. Now, why? This is important for us to understand. Because God saw over or through those flaws. He saw through those flaws and he saw the great love that they had for God. And from that love, they could do great things. And that's what's important. And that's what God saw. Go to the second reading. Paul is trying to tell us just that. Paul says, I, Paul, am already being poured out like a libation. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Well, Paul is telling us when he says, I've kept the faith, he means he's kept his love for God. It's never changed. It's never diminished. In in fact, Paul is telling Timothy, that's the single most important thing he's ever done in his life, to continue to love God. Now realize the context in which this second reading is set in. Paul right now, as he writes this letter, is in prison. He's in Rome and he's awaiting his own execution. He knows it's only a matter of weeks or even days away. And so he writes this last letter to Timothy. You couldn't say he's imparting his last words of wisdom to Timothy. Timothy was his protege. Paul baptized Timothy. And again, from that moment forward, Timothy never left his side. Everything Timothy knows about the faith, he was taught to by Paul. And it was Paul that actually ordained Timothy to be a priest and then sent him out to lead a Christian community. Well, now Paul writes him this last letter, imparting his last will and testament upon Timothy. Notice what he says. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What is he really doing? He's looking back at his life. He's assessing his life. Realize Paul is the single most successful apostle in terms of evangelization. Paul has done more to evangelize the world than all of the other 12 apostles put together. Paul has evangelized two continents, two continents, Asia and Europe. He has established Christian communities, dozens of them, on Asia and Europe. He has baptized thousands and thousands of people. He has worked dozens and dozens of miracles. And yet for all of that, he tells Timothy the single most important thing he's ever done He's kept the faith. He's kept his love for God. The love that was once handed down to him by Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has endured many hardships in his ministry. Go to 1 Corinthians. Paul will basically give us a litany of all the many hardships he's endured. Beatings, stonings. He's been whipped, chained. He has been tortured by Roman prison guards, beaten with rods. He's been shipwrecked many times. He's endured cold and the wind and the rain and sleeping out at night. And yet none of these things undermined his love for God. It's a powerful spiritual lesson for us all. Like Peter and Paul, we must make the central organizing principle of our life 
to keeping the faith, keeping our love for God. Like in Peter and Paul, there are many things that matter in our life. Houses, cars, or careers, they all matter in our life. But the single most important thing that really matters in our life, our love for God. See, that's what Peter and Paul are telling us. That's what they recognized in their lives. Now, why is this important? Because the love for God that we have basically flows over and touches all the other things in our life, gives us a strong prayer life, help us to be good stewards of the gifts we've been given, share those gifts for the service of God and others in this world. The love for God that we have in our life helps us to be a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more patient, a little bit more charitable and kinder towards others. Today, our church celebrates the two greatest saints our church has ever produced. Yes, they were flawed individuals, but God saw through those flaws and saw the love they had for him and how that love would make them do great things. Well, we too are flawed, flawed because of our own sin, but God looks past those flaws and he sees the love that we have for him and he sees all the good things that we can do on behalf of him in this world. Mother Teresa would always tell her nuns, do small things, but do them with great love. Well, I think we can all be saints, maybe not capital S saints like Peter and Paul, but maybe small case saints. We can do little things, things of charity, compassion, kindness. We can do little things and we do them with great love. And then we too can be saints in our own right. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.